Welcome to Turning Point. For a Christian to thrive in the current culture, it takes more than faith, it takes courage. So today, Dr. David Jeremiah begins the series, Courage to Conquer, in order to help you grow in this important attribute, especially if you tend to react with fear to what's happening in the world. Let's listen as David introduces today's message, Courage When Fear Dominates You. And welcome to Turning Point for the month of March. We're happy to have you along for uh, for these teachings on Courage to Conquer. Before we get into the series and the first message, let me tell you that our resource for the month of March is a really special one. I just got done going into the studio and recording five messages that are included now in the information that we send to new believers. They get a book called Your Greatest Turning Point, and in that book are QR codes that they can go to and get messages on prayer, messages on assurance, messages on the importance of the church. These are very special because they're the first messages we shot in the new uh, Turning Point studio, which is not quite finished yet, but we used it in its rough stages to record these these messages. Here's the resource for the month. We want to send you a special three-pack of your greatest turning point. This has been offered for the last 41 years to help lead people to Christ, sending more than 644,000 copies. Refreshed version includes first steps of faith, scripture reference guide, and a five new correlating video set. It's yours for a gift of any amount to turning point. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. You will want one of these for yourself, and there will be many people you'll want to give one to. So I hope you will do your very best to make your very best gift during the month of March. And when you do so, ask for your greatest turning point, the pack. We'll send it to you. Right now, it's time for Courage When Fear Dominates You. As we open our Bibles today, I want to ask you to open to the 34th Psalm. Today, we're going to talk about courage when fear dominates. I'm not really sure why the Lord put in my heart to speak on the subject of courage, except it is beginning to dawn on me more and more that for us to live in the world in which we live today, it takes courage. It takes a lot of courage. It takes courage every day to meet the challenges that we meet. And courage comes in all kinds of packages. One summer night during a violent thunderstorm, a mother was tucking her small boy into bed. She was about to turn off the light when he asked with a tremor in his voice, Mommy, will you sleep with me tonight? The mother smiled and gave him a reassuring hug. I can't, dear, she said. I have to sleep with your daddy. A long silence was broken at last by his shaky little voice, the big sissy. (laughs) The party aboard a ship was in full swing. Speeches were being made by the captain, the crew, and the guests enjoying a week-long voyage. Sitting at the head table was a 70-year-old man who, somewhat embarrassed, was being heaped upon with praise from all. You see, earlier that morning, a young woman had apparently fallen overboard, and within seconds, this elderly gentleman was in the cold, dark waters at her side. The woman was rescued, and the elderly man became an instant hero aboard the ship. When time finally came for this brave passenger to speak, the stateroom fell into a hush. He rose from his chair 
went to the microphone and in what was probably the shortest hero's speech ever offered, spoke these stirring words. I just want to know one thing, who pushed me? <laughs> Courage comes in all kinds of packages, doesn't it? As we begin this series, I want to talk with you today about the courage to conquer fear. I have experienced fear as many of you have, of all different kinds. What do you do when fear dominates your life? Well, today we open our Bibles to the 34th Psalm, and this is going to be of great help to us. Now, in the book of Psalms in the Old Testament, there are 14 different Psalms that are introduced by words that link the Psalm to a particular incident in the life of David. Now, this connection of the Psalm to the life of David is found in the words that we never read, the words which we call an inscription. They're the little words, usually in italics, that are right above the psalm. These ascriptions give us the time and the place in which the psalm was composed. Now, if you look down at your Bible, you will see right under the number of Psalm 34, these words. A psalm of David, when he pretended madness before Abimelech, who drove him away, and he departed. Now, you probably never read that before. You just read Psalm 34 and you go right past that. How many of you go right past the ascriptions, like Selah, right, at the end of one? You don't know what it means, so you don't pay any attention to it. Well, sometimes we cannot find the connection between the inscription or the ascription and the text, but this one is very clear. And these little words at the beginning of this psalm, believe it or not, are the keys that unlock the meaning of the psalm for us today. If we did not have these words, we would not understand what this psalm was all about. For these words are like a string drawn from Psalm 34 all the way back to 1 Samuel 21 and 22, where you have the story that goes behind the psalm. Now, let me set the stage for this psalm and for this time in David's life. David is the writer of Psalm 34. Most of you know the story of little David, who played on his harp. When David was just a boy, a teenager, King Saul was the most powerful man in the nation. And when the nation of Israel was challenged by the nation of the Philistines, they were asked to send a warrior out to fight against their 10-foot giant, Goliath. Interestingly enough, no one volunteered for the assignment. Goliath was a giant who championed the Philistine army. He had challenged the Israelites to send out their best warrior, and they would not do it. He said, if you bring out your best warrior, we'll send out our best warrior, Goliath. We'll fight the war, mano y mano, one on one. Whoever wins, the other nation will be servants to the victors. Unfortunately, no one from Israel was volunteering to be a hero. None of the soldiers in the Israeli army stepped up. King Saul didn't want a piece of the action either. Finally, little David, a teenager, is sent by his father to the front of the battle to bring some provisions from home to his brothers who were in the army. It had to have been 
an overwhelming sight to see this little lad walk into the midst of the camp when no one wanted anything to do with the giant. And David said, I'll fight him. And everybody went, yeah, right. And he wouldn't give up. No, I'll fight him. I'll fight the giant. And so they said, well, you know, nobody else is volunteering. I have to believe it was one of the funniest moments in the history of Israel when David, little diminutive David, stepped into Saul's armor and disappeared from sight. (laughs) David rejected, as you know, the armor of Saul, and instead he went down into the valley to face Goliath with two things, the name of the Lord and a slingshot. You all know the story, one of the most famous stories in the Bible. Only took one stone, Goliath was defeated. David comes back into camp carrying Goliath's head and he became the instant folk hero of the entire nation. The song that was composed because of David's victory became the number one hit on all the charts. All of the women in the entire nation of Israel were singing and if you think I made that up, 1 Samuel 18, 7 says this, so the women sang as they danced and they said, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands. 1 Samuel 18, 8 says, then Saul was very angry, I guess so, and the saying displeased him and he said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now what more can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. He put the evil eye on David. For the next years that followed, David lived his life on the run, always looking over his shoulder, knowing that not far behind him was the jealous Saul who had determined to kill him. Never being able to relax, always moving his family from one place to another, never feeling safe, He knew that his enemy could be around the next corner lying in wait to kill him. In fact, there's a place in the story where Saul actually commissioned 30,000 soldiers to go find David. Can you imagine that? 30,000 to one. During all these months of running and hiding, if you read the story of David and you read the Psalms that go along with it, you find out that David was solid in his trust in God. God was his champion. David did only what God told him to do, went only where God told him to go, and God was always with him, always beside him, always giving him strength in the midst of his fear. But as someone once said, fatigue makes cowards of us all. Can't imagine how tired a person would be always knowing that they're not safe, always wondering how long they can stay. You know, you get a little picture of that if you watch The Fugitive on television years ago. You know, the episode of it's always moving from one place to another. And the end of each episode, you always saw him walking down the road looking about as lonely as a person could be and tired. Well, David was tired. And in one of the lowest moments in his life, he took things into his own hands. He's trusted God all this time, but now David decides... I'm tired of this. Man, I can't do this anymore. I got to get out of here. So he makes this decision that the best place where he can hide, where Saul's not likely to find him, is in Philistia. And he decides with his little band that he's going to go across the border into the land of the Philistines and he's going to hide out in the city of Gath. Now, does that ring a bell? Gath 
is the hometown of Goliath whose head David had severed from its body. <laughs> what is he thinking? And to make matters worse, on his way from Israel to Gath, he and his men get hungry and they stop in this little village called the village of Nob and that's where they eat the showbread that was in the temple because they didn't have any other food. And David says to the person in charge, do you have any weapons here? He said, lying, we left our home so quickly we didn't bring any weapons with us. And they said to him, you know what? We don't have any weapons at all except one. We have the sword of Goliath wrapped up in a blanket and it's behind the ephod. You can have that if you want it. David said, there's no better sword in all the world. So get this now. David takes the sword of Goliath, which must have been dragging on the ground when he walked, straps this sword on his belt, and goes into the middle of the city of Gath, which is the hometown of the giant he killed. Let me just pause here and say, when you stop doing what God tells you to do, you start doing some really dumb things, you know? How many can give me a witness to that? When you don't do what God tells you to do, you often do some really dumb things. Now, it didn't take long when he walked into the city for the people of Gath to figure out who he was. They put the sword together with this young man, two and two, they couldn't believe he was there. And 1 Samuel 21, 11 to 1 Samuel 22, 1 tells the story. Let's read it right from the scripture. And the servants of Achish said to him, Achish was the king of Gath, is this not David, the king of the land? Did they not sing of him to one another in dances saying, Saul has slain his thousands and David his ten thousands? And this is the understatement of the Bible. Now David took these words to heart. And he was very much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So he changed his behavior before them, pretending madness in their hands, scratching on the door of the gate. You get the impression it's like scratching on a blackboard, scratching on the door of the gate and letting his saliva fall down on his beard. What is he doing? He's feigning insanity. The first plea of insanity you'll find in the Bible. He's pleading insanity. And they brought David to the king. And the king Achish said to his servants, look, you see this man is insane. Why have you brought him to me? Have I need of a madman that you brought this fellow to play the madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? Seems like David's plot is working. You realize the mess he's in? He's surrounded by all of the people in the whole world who want more than anything else to kill him. And his only way out was to act like he had gone crazy so they wouldn't take him seriously. And 1 Samuel 22, 1 says, David therefore departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adullam. So when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. Now go back to Psalm 34 and read the ascription. A Psalm of David when he pretended madness before Abimelech who drove him away and he departed. Now just a note, in Psalm 34, the king is called Abimelech and in 1 Samuel he's called Achish. Is this a contradiction in the Bible? Absolutely not. The word Abimelech is like the word Pharaoh. It's like the word king, it's a title. Achish was the Abimelech of Gath. 
It's not hard to imagine, is it, the frightening moments that David had in his life. It must have been for David when he realized that he was surrounded by the Philistines who hated him, the most fearful moment he'd ever experienced. I mean, it was way past the fear of standing in front of Goliath because when he stood in front of Goliath, he was in the will of God. He knew what was gonna happen. But David had turned his back on the counsel of the Lord. He was kind of on his own now, doing his own thing, and he got himself in a terrible mess. And the Bible just really gives you the picture that David was quaking in fear, and he didn't know what to do, and so he descended to the worst moment in his life. Can you see the great King David with saliva coming down his face on his beard and scratching on the wall like he was a madman? You talk about a guy who could say, I was a dead man. In David's mind, he was a dead man. Now here he is, after that experience, the Bible says, according to the ascription, that this is the psalm that David recorded in the cave of Adullam after he had been released by the Abimelech of Gath, and now he's in the cave, and he writes his remembrance of this situation in what we know as one of the great psalms of the Bible. David is tired of living out of a suitcase. He'd been anointed king years before, but had never had one day of actually being the king. He'd been abandoned by his own people, frustrated, discouraged, and most of all, afraid. And he produces these words. Now, I know that many of us here have had fear. I've had some, and you have too, but I can just about tell you that I don't think anyone here has ever been in a situation quite as fearful as the one David was in. And so David begins to offer up his psalm and he's gonna to respond to his fear. Now, I wish I could teach every word in Psalm 34, but I cannot do that. So I'm gonna concentrate on the first seven verses, and we're gonna come out of this message having unpacked four principles about dealing with fear based upon David's instruction. Now, what I wanted to do in the first part of this message was to help you understand that he is eminently qualified to talk about this subject. Can I get a witness? Do you believe that? David is eminently qualified to talk about fear. Now, it's amazing to me what comes out of this psalm, the four things that we see. First of all, when we face fear, we need the courage to offer up our praise. Now, that seems so out of touch with reality. But notice the beginning of the psalm. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. David moves from the pain of his life to the praise of his lips. And if you underline your Bible, I want you to underline the five different phrases or words that David uses to describe his first response to fear. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise is continually in my mouth. My soul boasts in the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord. Exalt his name together. There is not a more pregnant verse as far as worship is concerned in all of the Bible than Psalm 34, 1. Bless the Lord, praise the Lord, boast in the Lord, magnify the Lord, exalt the Lord. David says, I will bless the Lord at all times. David, you mean in the midst of Gath with everybody looking at you, ready to kill you? Oh, yes. It's easy to sing a song in the day of prosperity, but David will sing his song in the night of adversity, and his song will be, notice, in his mouth. 
No inward murmurings. David's singing his song in his mouth. Not just in his heart, but aloud. What a great lesson to learn from the experiences of David. When we are afraid, what seems so out of context for us were to worship God. When we are filled with panic, that's the time to praise. When we're filled with worry, that's the time to worship. When we're about to go under the table and cover our heads up, that's the time to lift our arms up to the Lord and give praise to his holy name. You say, well, if I don't feel like doing it, how am I gonna do it? Whoever said you had to feel like doing it? I mean, you know what? Life is not about feeling good, it's about doing good. So if you see what the word of God is saying, I just tell you, if you want to get out of fear, here's the first step, begin to worship the Lord. And I'm going to show you why that works. When I praise and worship God in the midst of my fears, my fears don't go away. They are just put into perspective of a loving and powerful God. I'm praising the God of the universe, the creator of the world. And then I have to ask myself, can that God take care of my problems? Oh man. You see, what happens if you go into prayer without worship, you just dig yourself a deeper hole. You just rework the problem. But if you worship the Lord, that's why when you read the prayer that the Lord taught us, it starts out, hallowed be thy name. Why? Because praise and worship lifts God up in our minds and in our hearts and helps us to see that while our problem is fierce, And David's problem was fierce. He remembered that he had a God and when he had this moment, perhaps even in the midst of his fainting insanity, there was this word of praise in his heart. God's somehow I messed up, but you're gonna get me through this. So we need the courage to offer up our praise. Here's the second thing. We need the courage to own our problem. Notice Psalm 34, four and five. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces were not ashamed. The second thing David teaches us to do is to admit our fears before God. As he writes these words, David's mind goes back to Gath and he remembers the way the inhabitants of Gath looked at him when they recognized who he really was. This is the man who killed Goliath. When David heard those words according to his psalm, he sought the Lord and the Lord heard him and delivered him from all of his fears. Even while pretending to be mad, even while acting insane, David was praying in his soul. Have mercy, Lord, help me, Lord. I know I'm wrong, Lord, but please help me. Lord, help me. I don't know what I'm doing, but Lord, help me. I'm gonna die here, Lord, if you don't help me. Lord, I'm I'm telling you I'm afraid. That is what David is remembering. And instead of rubbing David's nose in the dirt, the Lord stepped in and set him free. Hallelujah. Aren't you glad God is a merciful God? You know what I would have done? I'll tell you what I would have done. If I were God, I would have said, David, you got yourself in this mess. You get yourself out of it. You walked away from my counsel. You played the stupid game of embarrassing me here. You're the king in waiting and you're walking around with saliva dripping off your beard. You came into this situation, you get out of the situation. But David said, no, the Lord heard my cry and he delivered me from my situation. Wow. 
Well, you know, I hate it when we have a message we have to interrupt for the weekend, but this happens to be one of them. So to hear the rest of this, you'll have to be with us on Monday, right here on this good station at the same time. Over the weekend, I hope you'll get to church. We've been harping on that a lot because a lot of people haven't gone back to church since COVID-19. And I know that's a really dangerous thing to let happen in your life. So I'm warning you, you will never be able to say, nobody told me. Get back to church this weekend. We're coming up upon Easter. What a great time to get back in the routine of going to church. Don't forget to watch us on television over the weekend. If we're on during your church time, just record us and watch us later. But we'll be there for you, and I hope you'll be able to share with us in the television ministry of Turning Point, which now reaches around the world. I'm David Jeremiah. It's been my privilege to be your teacher for all these years, and it's such a wonderful joy to visit with you every day. Have a great weekend, and I'll see you right here on Monday. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church and Dr. David Jeremiah, the senior pastor. Please share with us how Turning Point is ministering to you by writing to us at Turning Point, Post Office Box 3838, San Diego, California, 92163, or visit our website at davidjeremiah.org forward slash radio. Ask for your copy of David's booklet, Your Greatest Turning Point, Next Steps of Faith. Learn how to be saved and to share this resource with others. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International and the New King James Versions, available in a variety of handsome and popular cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org forward slash radio. I'm Gary Hoogfleet. Join us Monday as we continue the series Courage to Conquer. It's here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah.